you know, I talk to a lot of people online and stuff, and that's where they tell me, it's like, oh, well, I just, you know, I don't, I don't have the time for this. I don't have the energy for this. I'm like, but if it was something that you were really interested in, or even like you said, even loosely interested in, instead of watching TV for three hours, you would sit down in front of your laptop and actually work, even, even, if, it's like, even if it's for half of that time. <laughs> Welcome to Latitude, the show for freelancers, founders, and creators about all the non-business parts of running a successful business. I interview folks who are defining work for themselves. We look at the mindset and methods it takes to create the latitude you need to do your most creative work. This week, I'm talking with Mubashar Iqbal, better known as Mubs. Mubs is a developer, maker, and indie hacker. He's been Product Hunt's Maker of the Year, has coded over 80 distinct projects, and some of them have gone completely viral, getting tens of millions of views. Somewhere in there, he also has a full-time job and a family. We talk about how to keep work fun and lighthearted, we talk about using self-imposed constraints to work more effectively, and then we look at how some of his own personal challenges and hobbies have informed some of his projects. Um, awesome. Well, welcome to the show, Mubs. Really excited to have you here. Um, you've kind of like made more projects than probably the whole audience of this podcast combined. So um, I'm definitely really excited to talk with you. Um, I guess to kind of kick it off, I'm ex- uh, I'm curious what your very first exposure to coding was. Yeah, um, I think I got my first kind of interest in coding was basically when my dad bought home a computer when I was about eight years old. Um, I was the youngest of four kids so my siblings were a little little bit older than me um and so my dad bought home a computer for them more than he bought it home for me uh but then I was the one who was just on it all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then I just kind of started uh you know just like tinkering with like you know back yeah again this is like back in 1982 ish I guess so so it goes back a ways um and so back then you know you didn't have this huge catalog of things that you could play and and kind of install and stuff so you end up having to write your own stuff a lot of the time so i think i started mm-hmm. just copying code from magazines into the computer so i could play a new game and then i would just kind of tweak it a little bit so it, it worked or looked the way that i wanted it to so that was kind of my first exposure i think okay cool yeah i mean that sounds like fairly similar to mine was i definitely got into it at like almost the tail end of DOS games and like definitely like tweaking my space uh, themes and stuff like that. Um, and so then I guess, how did that sort of lead to um, you've now gone on and created like so many projects? What was the, that like very first, what do you consider like your first like side project? Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I guess I don't know what that label means exactly. I mean, I, I, even when I was in high school, uh, was really when I got into like the Linux world, um, and so I got my first exposure to like things like freeware and shareware and things like that. So that was kind of when I would. That's the first time I think I wrote software and released it to somebody else. That wasn't just like me kind of okay. hacking on stuff and just kind of mm-hmm. saving it on my own local hard drive. Um, and so, yeah, so, yeah, so that wouldn't be what you'd call a side hustle, I guess, back then. <laughs> Cause again, this is, you know, back pre this whole side hustle craze that's kind of exploded recently, but that's probably my first exposure to really making stuff on the side or just making stuff in my spare time, I guess. 
Um, and then in terms of like actual, actual side projects, I think, yeah. So once I had a job and I wasn't in school, I was, you know, kind of stuff like that. I think, well, I guess my first side hustle was when I was still in university, I was hired to build a currency conversion widget for a, a site. So I built a, a Java applet that somebody could embed on their website that would go and pull the currency rate. So you could type in that you had uh, Great British Pounds and you wanted a certain number of uh, French francs or whatever it is, whichever currency that you're interested in. That was in 1995, I think, was my first kind of uh, freelance uh, kind of on sort of on the side thing while while I was still in school. <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember what the like first Linux project was? Because I think that's funny that like we all eat, sleep and breathe like the web now, but like that wasn't even really a thing probably. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't, I don't think I did anything with Linux in terms of uh, writing any software or anything like that. That was just like, I wanted to install it and just kind of see oh, okay, it kind of up and just running. Kind of playing with it I, I think I wrote my first, yeah, I think my first thing was an MS tool which i wrote i think in turbo pascal actually um but it was a little script that would run when the computer started up and it would and there's hundreds of these out there now but back then it it, would basically i built a database of everybody's birthdays and anniversaries and things in my in my family and when the computer would start up, it would figure out what the current date was and it would look through the list of, of all of these upcoming things and tell me when like the next birthday was and stuff like that. So I would I would not miss my siblings and my cousins and things like that. Uh, birthdays and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's great because like all of that like personalization and calendars and stuff, it's just like everyone has that now, but that was like definitely new. That's that's pretty awesome. Um so I want to do kind of like a short little segment and then we'll kind of jump back in to um, some of the side projects and some of that other stuff. Um, but I want to kind of just go through a couple terms and it'll be like a, a competition almost. So I'll say like one or the other and then you basically like say what your sense of both of them are um, and kind of like what the differences are, um, which ones are like more or less valuable. Um, so the first one would be kind of the difference of makers versus indie hackers. Cause I know you kind of like overlap in both those. Almost. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think indie hackers just have a more of a focus on, um, making money, um, and, and versus, versus a maker, I think who just kind of has this passion for doing their craft and just kind of creating things. And the financial outcome isn't the only reason for, for that to happen um mm-hmm. so i think it kind of depends on where you are in your life in your cycle whether you want to be a maker or whether you want to be an indie hacker um and yeah so i think i think they both have their place absolutely um you know i'm i tell people i'm more of a maker less of an indie hacker mostly just because i have a full-time job that i'm really happy with um and so i don't really most of my side projects i don't really need to need to turn uh you know i don't need them to make money and make enough money where it can become my main mm-hmm. work or anything like that as well okay and so then ideas versus execution uh, <laughs> um 
So, I mean, I, I don't really fall in the camp where either is the be-all and end-all. I know that some people say ideas are worthless and some people say I, I, you know, executions, everything, and then you kind of flip things the other way around as well. I think it's definitely the combination of the two that, that you kind of have to find that works for you because an idea is worthless if you don't execute on it, but trying to execute a really bad idea is next to impossible as well. So yeah, you've got to have a good idea and then execute it well. Uh, obviously, you can take a bad idea and you know somehow execute it to where it's worth something. And you can have a really good idea and execute poorly and it won't be worth anything either. So that's why I think you know, you've got to find this good mix of uh, ideas and execution. And I think you know, one of the things that people forget about is this whole idea of like the founder product fit. And I think that's where the idea kind of lands as well. Um, so because you've got to find the idea that works for you as well. Because yeah, it could be a really good mm-hmm. idea, but if it's not something that you're in a place to be able to execute on, uh, it's not going to make any difference as well. Mm-hmm. And so then have you seen in some of your projects, like you probably have some sense of like, what's a good idea or like, what's a bad idea. Um, does your sense of which ones are going to resonate with people align with kind of the actual traction that you find that they get? Um, I mean, that's tough because it just depends. So sometimes they're just external factors that you have no control over whether they whether they reach the audience that you're expecting to and um uh, you know and then they just kind of click um with with the audience out there i think normally when 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 i'm focusing on the idea part of things it's more about like am i the right person to execute this idea even right like do i have all of the skills that are needed to be able to execute this idea or do i know the people that i would be able to pull in to be able to execute this idea mm-hmm. um, and then also do i have the time for the idea as well because it could be a really good idea but it means that you need to spend 60 hours a week on it for the next month or you know, six months or whatever it is but if you know you're not going to have that time to be able to execute on that um, then you know, then it could be a really fantastic idea, but it's just not something that you can execute on either. Totally. Well, and I mean, that's like something that Cortland has mentioned about indie hackers specifically too. Is that um, he was able to do that because he knew that he kind of needed to focus on ideas that were like less programming heavy because he would just get like almost too much in the weeds. So um, that kind of, I think leads right into our next one, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, but, um, product founder fit versus product market fit. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, again, obviously the sort of two are important, but I think for me, especially as a maker indie hacker, I think product market, f- uh, maker, <laughs> maker, um, product fit, I think is even more important mostly because you're j- just in terms of finding the energy and finding them motivation to work on things is really hard because you come home from an eight hour day or whatever it is that you're doing or even if you're still at school for eight hours whatever it is that you're doing your day that you're studying um to have the energy to kind of say okay i'm going to start another three four hours where i'm going to work on stuff um i think having good you know um founder profit makes that a lot easier like because it's something that you're excited to work on it's something that you're really interested in i think you're going to have the energy to kind of work on it if you're just picking a product because it's you know it sounds cool and there's lots of other people working in the space and you know it's something that you know you think will have a good audience and stuff it, i mean and it may well do that but you know are you going to have the i i mean are you going to have the motivation to actually work on it 
Um, and, and so I think I think that's where that that kind of becomes a lot more important for for kind of indie hackers as well. Well, and that's been my experience too. Is like um, you're more likely to kind of stick with something and like try harder and like do better work if it is like something that you're even like loosely interested in. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think yeah, and I think that's. Because that's that's where a lot of people. I, mean, I talk to a lot of people online and stuff, and that's where they tell me, like, oh, "Well, I just, you know, I don't, I don't have the time for this. I don't have the energy for this." I'm like, "But if it was something that you were really interested in, or even like you said, even loosely interested in, instead of watching TV for three hours, you would sit down in front of your laptop and actually work, even even if it's like, even if it's for half of that time." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so now are the most important verses we have. Um, and you might be a little biased as a New York uh, <laughs> resident, but New York style versus deep dish pizza. <laughs> and I have, so I have, I have, I haven't lived in Chicago, I have lived in New York, but I have been to Chicago and had Chicago pizza in Chicago. <laughs> but I will say I'm a New York style pizza. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of both for sure, but they're just like so, so different. Yes. <laughs> now, before we jump into the next question, I want to pause for a minute and talk a bit about Podia. Podia is a platform for creating and hosting online courses, digital downloads, and memberships. More than that, though, Podia is a company that believes in and supports creators. They don't just build course software, they really enable people like us to do the work we love. I'm a longtime Podia user, along with a few of the guests on the show. My Podia course has directly led to thousands of email subscribers and five figures in revenue. As a designer, I definitely have a tendency of tweaking and perfecting everything, but most of the time, that's not what actually makes a difference. Podia makes it easy to focus on creating content that's useful and valuable, rather than getting distracted by design edits or a long technical setup process. It doesn't matter if you're an expert developer or creating your first ever digital product. Podia makes it fast and easy to create something that not only looks good, but converts well. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably working on creating something. Whether that's an app, a course, or an entirely new business, creating something out of nothing is hard, but Podia makes creation a little bit easier. They're offering 15% off for life to listeners of the Latitude podcast. To get your discount or to just learn a bit more, go to podia.com latitude, or there's a link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the interview. Awesome. And so kind of one of the biggest things that I'm curious to chat with you about is like, number one, just kind of like the pure output that you've had, I think is really interesting. Um, But another aspect of it is kind of your approach to monetization. Um, And so a little context for folks, like you have a handful of projects that are monetized that make some money. I guess, like, as you mentioned, your full-time job is kind of like your primary income driver. So I'm curious if you can just kind of comment on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, it's one of those things where, it, for me at least, the income is, it, it's it's kind of a nice outcome if it happens. Um, and so I don't I don't necessarily think about. I mean, I I I, I actually maybe I'll I'll, I'll restate that. I, I think about how a project might make money, but I don't necessarily implement that straight away. Um, and because just for, for lots of reasons, you know, one being that it changes the expectations, I think, in terms of when you launch something, if you're, you know, if you're, if your first call to action is sign up and pay me money, it's kind of, it changes what the kind of how, how people look at it and how you look at it as well. Um, but 
but so I, mean, I do think it's important to think about how a project will make money or could potentially make money at some point because if you do want to work on something for the next three, four years, you know, <laughs> to make it something big, then at some point it will need to make money. Otherwise, you will not work on it um, uh, for that amount of time at all. Um, the the one thing I will say is that, I mean, a lot of the projects I've done over the years, I've done with other people as well. So they're not just kind of on my own kind of solo mm-hmm. sat in the corner working away. Um, and so a lot of those projects are the ones that I do focus on, like, okay, how is this going to make money? Uh, mo- mostly because those are the projects that people actually want to be- be- become their main job and things like that. Um, and and so um, I do I do think about those a little bit more, and, and we do and we do plan the how do you make money from this as we kind of build out the MVP as well, um, and, and it has worked out well. Yeah, there's there's kind of a few projects that are paying people salaries, and that people are working on them full time and stuff now as well. And so you're able to kind of focus on like the more maker side of it, but you are still like enabling other folks to create like more of a business out of it than it sounds like yeah and, and you know and you know and, and and honestly i mean whilst i'm happy with my job and everything if there was a project that really took off and you know became wildly successful i'd be quite happy to work on it as well so i mean so it's always something you keep in the back of your mind that okay if this project really does take off and gets lots of traction is it something i want to work on for the next three or four years years as well and i mean that and that's another reason to pick things that kind of interest you as well because if something is going to take off you know your first thought shouldn't be okay now what do i do with it? how do i how do i turn this over to somebody else uh because you know they can get more value out of it than than i can <laughs> and so then like for i guess both your solo projects and your um kind of like more partnership projects, what sort of like marketing do you do that for those? Or does that kind of like vary from project to project? Yeah, it absolutely varies from project to project. Uh, I mean, the ones I'm doing with other folks, I mean, that's usually what ends up being their kind of role and their kind of uh, mm-hmm. function uh, while I'm still working on de- de- developing the application and stuff. They will, they'll, they'll start thinking about, okay, what's the... You know, how do we reach customers and how do we reach uh, p- potential y- y- users through you know content marketing, s- social media marketing, sort of that kind of stuff. Um, if it's a personal project, it kind of depends on what it is. But my my main approach has just been to build stuff in the open. So um, so I talk a lot about what I'm building, how I'm building it, why I'm building it, all that kind of stuff. So you still end up doing content marketing, kind of social media. I, I tweet a lot about the things I'm working on and stuff like that as well. And then, so that will naturally draw your audience in as well in terms of if you talk about the thing that you're building, then people who are interested in that thing will hopefully find it and be, and, and be kind of in the orbit when you actually finish it and then are able to, uh, able to, launch it as well um and then yeah and then then the actual launch itself obviously there's lots of different you know avenues in terms of product hunt and uh there's you know things like pay the list if you want to do it pre-launch to kind of build up an audience there as well so there's lots of different avenues to explore on on that end of things 
And so I think a lot of folks have definitely had some success with building out in the open, but there are also a lot of folks that are kind of nervous about that, that they may like give away their idea or some of their intellectual property. What would you say to that argument? I would say, well, one, I mean, if you've got a truly unique idea, I, I, probably want to hear it but you probably won't tell me about it anyway um but yeah i would say most of what i built is not anything new and i think most of what people are building these days really isn't anything new yeah you might have one little teeny bit of it that is new um Mm -hmm. but then talk about everything else like you don't have to talk about the little secret sauce that you're working on but you can still talk about all the other things that that you're doing even talking about what it looks like is enough to kind of have people interested in, in in kind of things like that so even if you're even if the technology is really top secret and proprietary and things, there's other aspects of what you're doing and how you're doing it that you can t- t- talk about as well. Uh, but, but you know, and, 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 and frankly, if you are building something that is so uh, unique and custom, one, you should probably have a pattern on it or something that's going to stop other people anyway. Um, and, and, you know, this, this, the sort of other part of it is at some point, you're going to have to talk about what it is that you've built, right? So whether you're doing it pre-launch or post-launch, um, at some point you have to talk about it so that people can find out about it and people can, uh, and people can become customers or whatever. Uh, so at some point people are going to be able to see it and clone it and make their own version of it and stuff like that as well. And yeah, maybe you're afraid about giving up your lead or whatever it is, but, um, if you execute well and the idea is good, I don't think it matters what people try and do after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one thing that like I definitely find difficult is I feel like my ideas do have to be really unique. Um, and so I guess kind of you've even said that like a lot of your products are not that unique. Um, do you just kind of like create or like, is that something you've ever faced or like, how do you move past that? I uh, see. I don't, <sighs> My my focus is on problems. And so I don't necessarily think about what's a cool idea or what's a cool thing to build. I, I, I tend to focus on I'm feeling this pain, I'm feeling this thing, or this information is lacking, or it's not in, in an easy way to access it, whatever it happens to be. And so so yeah, so my my focus is typically what's the pain and how do I solve that pain? Um, Mm -hmm. and and so ideas are nice because, you know, they give you a way to solve that problem, but the idea isn't the thing that I'm building or that, that the, the idea isn't the end point, right? Like it's the solution of the problem. That's the end point. And so whether it's unique or not, doesn't really mean that much to me because it's, if, even if, if it's not a unique solution but i'm still solving a different problem using a solution that somebody built over there i'm still solving a unique problem now um and so i think you can look at it from that way in that i'm solving a unique pain (laughs) or Mm. i'm solving i'm 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 finding a unique way to solve a pain that exists out there for people that hasn't been solved in the past as well so you're still doing something new and original you're just thinking about it from the pain perspective instead of the sort of idea perspective in that, yes, it might be an existing idea, but if nobody's applied it in this way in, in this industry, then it's still something new. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's one way to do it. I, I don't worry too much about uh, new and, and unique anymore. Um, you know, just cause you know, be, having worked in this industry for, for so long that you kind of t- come to, 
to realize that the first mover advantage really isn't that big an advantage. You know, like Facebook wasn't the first social media platform. Google wasn't the first search platform. Microsoft wasn't even the first operating system. <laughs> Apple's not the first company to put out mobile phone. But, you know, you solve a unique problem in a unique way. It doesn't matter if you're the first or the hundredth person. Um, if you do it in the right way, people will, yeah, it might take you a little bit longer, but people still find it and, uh, and, and you will still have something that is successful. Well, and I think too, if you look at like the bootstrapper or like smaller, that kind of like software long tail, obviously there's even like countless more, um, examples that aren't like the first thing. And so I think that little shift of like, if some person is feeling some specific problem like if you can solve that you should solve that it's not a matter of if it's new or unique it's like why wouldn't you solve that problem almost yeah and and i think you kind of also have to think about starting small right like you can't solve the world's problem as an indie hacker right like because you Mm -hmm. just don't have the resources and the time or anything to, to kind of do those things so to to find a completely unique way to solve the power crisis you know i'm not going to invent you know fusion power here but if i can find a way to improve a widget so it makes somebody's life 10 percent, it improves somebody's life by 10 percent. that's often the best way to get started because then you once you've got that that foothold in there as an indie hacker it gives you the opportunity then to expand out and to build more more and more and more and more cool and interesting things but to get that foothold, because you know, prob- chances are that you're not raising money of any kind in terms of trying to figure out how to pay people's salary. You're, you're, you're basically having to get people to pay you for your product so that you can work on it full time. And so you need to be able to charge almost immediately for these things. So if you can solve mm-hmm. a problem immediately, you can start to generate income immediately, which means that you have more time to spend on on that thing and then expand on it as well. So that's that's the other thing with kind of indie hackers, I think, that you have to keep in mind. Yeah, and again, it kind of goes back a little bit to the whole, I don't want to share my ideas. I don't want to share my what, what, what I'm working on. It's just going to take you longer to get to market at that point because you're going to spend six months building something in private. And then you've got to build the marketing engine to kind of be able to ramp up to actually sign up customers and all that kind of stuff versus if you're building in the public, by the time you're ready to launch, you've already got an audience, you've already got people lined up hopefully to be able to 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 be able to become a customer as well so that then you can kind of uptick things even even faster um and and so i think i think it's important to kind of align you know with where you are and kind of where you're kind of heading kind of all Mm -hmm. kind of at the same time um instead of you know trying to think about well i want to be unique and that'll make me stand out the way that the internet works these days it's not going to make you stand out everybody has their own little spin on things anyway <laughs> and so it sounds like even outside of kind of that desire to like scale up or grow or monetize you've clearly found like tons of other benefits outside of the projects that you work on so i'm curious to kind of hear what you see some of those biggest benefits to be yeah i mean when when i really started to get back into the it, mm, maker movement and the indie hacker movement um it was mostly just well one i was working for an agency at the time and we were doing lots of really cool stuff lots of really interesting work 
but we were all under NDA and we couldn't talk about what we were doing. We couldn't, do, we, we couldn't even talk about who we were doing it for and all this kind of stuff. And so for me, you know, joining the maker movement was a lot about, well, let's just, let, let me just make something cool and fun on the side. And then I can talk about that instead. Um, and, and so it was a way for me to kind of, you know, kind of share some of the things that I could do and I was doing um, without necessarily having to talk about what stuff I was actually working on. Um, so it really helped me to kind of establish myself as somebody who could make things and, and could do really cool things online uh, with, without necessarily having to worry about violating NDAs and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think, I mean, for me, the main benefit was just to grow my network. And I think that's a really important thing that a lot of people um, – don't really like to do they they kind of you know because most developers want to focus on writing code and and to and to releasing software but you know at some point you need to have a network of people that you can reach out to because you're stuck on stuff or because you have a new idea they may be able to help you um kind of things like that which um you know people don't yeah, people. I mean, a lot of people are introverts, but just like even even if you're not an introvert, I think people are just uh, afraid of reaching out to people and and, and kind of things like that. Um, but for and that was absolutely my case as well. I was um, I'm now more of an extrovert, but I'm still very much an introvert as well. Um, but over the years, it's become a little bit easier to kind of do um, all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, and you know, it's obviously helped me in terms of growing my audience on, on social media as well you know i've got i've got lots of followers now and lots of people who are interested to kind of hear about the things i'm working on as well well and i i'll definitely mirror a lot of that because like i absolutely love doing these interviews um but i'm exhausted after them <laughs> like just because i am introverted like i'm tired after that um and so i think it's interesting that you found a way almost to use that to your advantage where like you're using coding and you're using kind of that stuff to connect with people. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I was thinking earlier, I was, I was, I was trying to plan out some of my, 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 my marketing and my sales effort. I was like, well, I should write more p- blog posts and I should talk about more about, you know, things that I'm working on and things, like, you know, things that I'm, things that I see other people just, they just write a blog post a week and to t- 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 sometimes and I'm just like, well, I don't like to do that. Like it, normally when I write a blog post, it's because I've launched something. <laughs> and so I write about the things that I've launched. And, um, and I think part of it is that whole kind of still being an introvert. I don't really like to talk about just random things, but having launched a side project, it gives me that natural output. Now, okay, from the coding side and from the making side, I can talk about what I just accomplished and kind of what I just achieved, uh, which seems to make it, um, a little bit easier for me at least to focus on well this this is the things that I like to do and then so I can write about that rather than just trying to um, magic up stuff to 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 kind mm. of share out there instead <laughs> and yeah and I mean for me too like I've tried the weekly newsletter thing I've tried the like weekly blog post thing um, and I mean it's worked to some extent but like it doesn't fit well with my personality. And like, even besides that, like the biggest spikes I've seen in the growth of my emailing 
in of my email list have been like just other random things that I wanted to do that were kind of outside of that. And so then I think we've kind of talked about a lot about like how to keep it fun, how to kind of like work on things that you want to work on. Um, but obviously there's like a dichotomy there where like if you are trying to monetize that, like it can be stressful. Like if you have bills to pay or you don't have like a full-time job that you're content with. Um, and so what would you kind of say to folks that are trying to kind of build that business into something that they can live off of um, and feel like they're not able to focus on kind of those other fun, random things? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think the idea is is just to start small, right? Like, don't try and, you know, the, there's a number of people I know who tell me that they've been working for like a year on their on their side project or something like that. And they haven't launched yet. You know, I just I, I have to put my hands up and say, like, why? <laughs> like, you know, like we absolutely you want it to be polished and perfect and all that kind of fun stuff, but until you've launched it, you've got no opportunity to kind of get feedback from customers, to get money from customers or any of that kind of stuff as well. Um and so yeah, so my my solution is always, you know, cut back to the bare minimum. What's that one feature? What's that one thing that you can launch? Um, and and then, I think that goes back a little bit too in terms of like the original idea as well. It's like you you do have to think about you know what's the thing that somebody working on their own can do in a few weeks, in a few you know in in weekends and evening time as well. So so you can't take on the, those big massive challenges that that would take a, a team of people weeks and months to, to kind of work on as well. Um, and and in and it's just that step up as well, right? Like, what's the thing that you can start with? But then, you know, what's the thing that you can then, now that you've made that first step, what's the, what's the next step as well? Rather than, well, that's the end of it. And then I think that that's where kind of some people get stuck as well. But uh, but mm-hmm. start small and think about how, or even if you have a big idea, that's, that's absolutely fantastic because that's where you want to be in five or six years, right? But how do you take the first step on that? You can't wait five or six years to, to kind of, you can't start at the end. You got to start at the beginning. So what's that first step that you're going to take to, to accomplish that. And so do you personally have like a process that you use to both like figure out what that small version is and then also to execute on it? Um, I don't know if I have a formal process, but absolutely. I mean, I sit down and I, I just, I think about what's, what's the unique selling proposition of this idea. So I guess for example, um, the, the idea, uh, so I built this thing called Q with some friends from England and Q is a social media sharing, uh, platform, uh, where we kind of have a, I guess now we, now they have a bunch of experts who curate, uh, content in, in different categories and then you as a user can sign up and say i'm interested in marketing or i'm interested in sales or i'm interested in web development and we'll and we can recommend you here's x number of posts each day that you can share on your social media account so your account looks like it's got interesting stuff on it um and so when um Matt and Dan came to me with the idea originally they wanted to build out like the whole suite of, um, of stuff. So they wanted to build our own content scheduler. They wanted to build our curation platform and then a way to kind of share that stuff automatically as well. So it was this big idea of, you know, big plan of, uh, of to kind of create the whole thing. 
Um, and so when, when I spoke to Matt and Dan about it, I was like, well, that's great, but that would probably take us six months to build, right? Because it'll just take us that long to build all the different pieces that we would need to build to, to, to kind of make that work. What we ended up doing was we, we ended up using um, Puffer has an API that allows you basically to kind of do all of the sharing for you on all the different platforms on Facebook and Twitter and all those kind of things as well. So we leveraged their API to kind of handle like the stuff that we didn't really care about. Like we, we don't actually care about the mechanism of sharing isn't what the value of the company was, right? The value of the company was to find the content for you that you could then share. So mm-hmm. the fact that we weren't going to spend weeks working on writing a content scheduler and integrating with Facebook and Twitter and all those other social media platforms, yeah, it saved us a whole bunch of time. And we could actually focus on the stuff, which was finding content and finding the experts who were experts in that in those spaces and, and kind of making the experience for them really easy to submit the content, which then could be shared out instead. So instead of spending six months on this whole big thing, we ended up building in a thinking about two weeks was our, our like internal version to make sure it all worked. I think the MVP mm-hmm. took about four weeks, I think it was instead. So instead of spending six months, we spent four weeks instead. So, I mean, and it totally goes back to figuring out what that problem is. Yes. Um, rather than just kind of like building something. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, you know I, I think I talk about this a lot, but it's like finding the best use of your time. As a indie hacker, as a maker on the side, mm-hmm. you've only got one or two hours a night at most. Um, you know, if you, if you were going to be working a full-time job, yeah, then you've got eight, t- 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 10 hours a day to, to kind of experiment with stuff and see what works and what isn't working and all that kind of fun stuff. But as a, as a maker, you've got, like I said, at most you've got one, one or two hours a day, maybe six or eight hours on the weekend, depending on if you have a family or not. Um, so even there, it's like, how can you, how can you best use the time that you have? Well, and so that kind of like totally leads into another question that I wanted to ask you is like, I think I've seen personally that by limiting those things, whether there's like a real limit or not that I'm able to be productive, I'm able to get more done and I'm able to focus on the right things like you kind of mentioned. Um, and so I think there's a way to almost like create those limitations for yourself, whether it is like a full-time job or a family or just kind of like something that you um, put on yourself. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's really good. I mean, I know personally, and this changes a little bit from project to, to project, but I try and if I have a just, you know, again, this is kind of a fun side project idea, not something that's going to be a company that's going to take over the world or anything, but but if it's if it's an idea that I think I can execute, I think I want to build, I normally limit myself to about two weeks and say I need to have mm-hmm. the MVP ready in two weeks. Um, and that's and I think it just goes back to what you said. It's like, well, you know, what's the most important things that I need to build in those two weeks? Even if it takes me a little bit longer, I know I've already pinned down. Well, this is this is the core set of features that I know I need to build. And if it takes me three weeks, okay, it takes me. Th- three weeks that's fine um but i know um I, I i've been listening to uh the 37 signals folks as well uh talk about their uh, their six weeks cycle of kind of how they how they think about adding new features onto mm-hmm. pace camp and stuff i think it's the same idea right like in terms of 
yes, we've got enough money that we can, we, we, you know, we can work for as long as we want to on things, but at some point you've got to ship stuff. Um, and rather than shipping stuff every three months or shipping stuff every year or whatever it is that you want to do, they have six-week cycles. And I think that's really an interesting constraint that they put on themselves when they clearly have no need to put any kind of con- con- constraints on, on themselves either. Uh, mm-hmm. Just so that you can force the creative mind to actually say, what's the thing that we should actually work on? What's the thing that we can actually do while we're still excited about that idea as well? Because I think that's the other thing that when you don't have the time constraint, the longer you get away from when you start something to when you launch it, your 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 excitement level is going to come down and down and down and down. <laughs> and you know, after a month, if you're still excited about something, it's going to be pretty... I think. Yeah, and I'll definitely drop um in the show notes the shape up book yeah. which kind of goes a lot more into that. Um and I think it's it's interesting too because compared to like the two week like scrum or agile sprints, like it doesn't have the craziness of that, but right. it also doesn't have the open endedness of okay, I'm going to work on this forever basically. <laughs> yeah. Um which is like every like weekly newsletter or blog or things like that. It's like so open ended. Um and so I think having those constraints can be super valuable. Yeah, it's really I mean, um my daughters are really into art and so they like to draw and paint and stuff like that. And it was funny. I was I was talking to uh, the art t- teacher that that my my kids have, and she was. And I don't know how we came onto this particular t- topic, but um, one of the things that she talked, and I think I've heard it kind of elsewhere as well. But she was saying how in some art c- c- colleges and stuff like that, they will actually actively put constraints on you as an artist as well. So they would say, "I want you to paint a s- sunset." but you can only use the color black, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, things like that. So it's like, well, even, even as an artist, you can put constraints on yourself because it makes you think about things and approach things in, in a new way. Um, uh, and, and, and so, because, you know, if you can use the reds and the yellows and those kinds of colors, then everybody's sunset looks exactly the same, right? But mm-hmm. now if you can only use a specific color or a specific medium, now everyone needs to th- approach things in a slightly different, different way so having that constraint actually makes you more creative uh in kind of lots of ways i think that's kind of what i like about that too is having that two weeks is like you have to get a little bit creative in terms of what can i leave out and what's the thing that i need to Mm -hmm. actually actually work on as well well and i mean i think it like almost makes you more aware of some of the things outside of like the work and the features too like when you are kind of cutting it down you have to be aware of like your family and your like responsibilities and like your hobbies, which like obviously making is a hobby, but like <laughs> there are other things too. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's true for me. And, and, you know, a lot of the projects that I make are because of my other hobbies as well. Right. Like I've made mm-hmm. uh, sites that are about football, uh, soccer in this country. Um, also about um, movies. I'm a big MCU fan. Yeah. I, li- I like to watch all the, all those superheroes, superhero movies as well but so i built sites that are kind of related to all of those as well so having that tie-in kind of actually does it it kind of feeds back on the energy as well yeah now i'm even more excited to watch the next movie or or to watch the (laughs) next match Mm -hmm. and then that kind of feeds on in on its 
health as well. And so I think another way that it ties in on and like something that you've talked about is you've mentioned kind of with your stutter and like with kind of moving to different countries um, that that's obviously had an impact on your life. Um, But you've kind of talked about how that's like impacted your business and like your work as a maker as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think as a maker, one probably the second most uh, mentioned. I I don't want to say excuse, but it is an excuse. <laughs> I think is that people get a little bit afraid of. Oh, I don't want to launch this yet because it's not ready, and I don't want people to say that I did a bad job, or you know, people you know people just hate my idea or they hate my my project and and kind of things like that. Um, and I think, I mean, partly it's an excuse and partly it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a valid fear as well that, that, you know, people want validation of their ideas and, and that kind of and their work as well. Um, but yeah, having been, you know, somebody who moved to a new country when I was four, having, having developed a stutter when I moved, um, you know, I went through school and yeah, kids, they were pretty nice, but you had the kids who weren't very nice about my stuttering and things like that too. Um, I think it just kind of helped me develop a slightly thicker skin, uh, just in terms of you know people saying things and 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 things like that. Um, and then as I became a maker too, I think that that thicker skin kind of helps me a little bit uh, because it's not that you don't value people's opinions, but you kind of I think you kind of think about who is saying it a little bit more. Um, and, and, and you think about things that they're saying and why they're saying them. And I think that kind of feeds a little bit in terms of, um, just kind of how you, how you kind of internalize that as well. Like, is it really valid feedback that maybe it is a bad idea, right? Like, and, 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 and it's okay if somebody says it's a bad idea and they know more about that industry than you do. And, and, and so you have to, you do have to think about who is saying it and why they're saying it. Um, mm-hmm. versus, oh, just some random person on the internet told me this is a bad idea, so it must be a bad idea, you know? <laughs> but um, but I think, yeah, so having that thicker skin, which I d- d- developed uh, yeah, through you know, some part of my stuttering, I think, I think I kind of helped me not re- react immediately, but actually consider what was being said and why it was being said. And I think, I think you do, because I think, you know, I think feedback is a hugely important part of what we do, because ultimately we're building things for other p- people. Uh, and so understanding what they think of the idea, why, you know, why they think it's good, why they think it's bad is, is hugely important too. Um, so you can't always just, you know, feel really bad just because somebody says it's bad, but, you know, understand why they're saying it and understanding well, how you can improve things as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's something that like comes with business and life experience that like, most people are like very kind of in their own heads, like focused on their own problems. Obviously, like my experience is the only experience I've ever gone through. Like your experience is the only experience you've ever gone through. Um, and I think it kind of just like makes you more aware of that. And that can like make you a more effective maker because you do take the time to kind of think about like, oh, what like what is their perspective? What is that kind of like challenge that I'm solving? Or like if they're providing negative feedback, like, what what does that say about like the whole situation more than me personally yeah and uh, yeah i think i think the other thing that you have to keep in mind is yes yeah, so sometimes you do have to just 
just remember that sometimes people will just be having a bad day as well, mm-hmm. right? It's not, it's not, it's not always, it's not always that these are bad people and they're doing bad things just for the sake of doing bad things. Sometimes, yeah, you can just catch somebody at the wrong time. Um, yeah, and yeah, because I've had plenty of instances where my stuttering has not been an issue at all with people with friends and family and things like that, and just some some day you know, because of what, because just like you said, they've got their own things happening in their own lives and things like that. Um, you know, my stuttering just ticked them off for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, you know, and like you said, you kind of d- d- develop the thicker skin a little bit to understand that it's not always you. It is sometimes, but it's not always you. Um, and, and you just kind of have to appreciate that, um, that it ha- and, you know, I think, that happens to everybody. It's not just people with stutters and things like that, but it happens to people with, uh, with, 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 with obstacles a little bit more. <laughs> so you, you kind of mm-hmm. experience it a little bit more as well. I, I think in some ways it has also, um, I, yeah, I see the obstacle. So in some cases I kind of make myself like even doing things like this podcast and things like I kind of, I make myself do these things sometimes because I, I want to overcome the, the sort of, my kind of in my head that I've got this issue with speaking. So, uh, so, so doing th- things like this, I think is, is helpful f- for me. Um, and, and so I, I end up like, I, I think, you know, even a few years back, it was like, well, I want to be at a conference. I want to speak at conference, you know, sort of on, on sort of on the stage. And so I put out a bunch of, you know, there was a bunch of uh, call for speakers and I just went ahead and applied to a few of those and, and then so I was, I, and then I was picked for a few as well. So so it was great. And then then I had to actually speak on stage, but uh, <laughs> which was not so great. But <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. But even just knowing that those obstacles exist, it kind of makes you kind of open up a little bit more. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I mean, it's just a matter of like turning those challenges into like something that pushes you towards growth. And so I want to kind of shift it for the last kind of handful of minutes that we have. Um, The biggest project I've seen you've been working on lately is Pod Hunt. Um, So why don't you kind of talk a little bit about that um, and sort of like what your learnings have been from that so far? Sure. Yeah. So Pod Hunt is an application that's trying to solve the problem of podcast discovery. Um, I've been a big podcast listener for probably. 10 years now um but um you know as as i as i listen to podcasts i realize that there's more there's just more podcasts out there as well i think i think the last count was that there's something like 850,000 podcasts i think it was about 450,000 active podcasts as well mm-hmm. so even if you know if people are putting out a new episode <laughs> a week that's still half a million new episodes yeah, a week crazy. so which is insane um uh, and so finding the good ones to listen to or to find the ones that you're going to be interested in is still a really hard thing. Um, and so a lot of the ways that people find podcasts now is just a kind of, they, they, they look at the, the, the leaderboards that are out there about what's popular and what's not. And the problem with those is that they're all the same and they all stay the same week after week and month after month. So what Pod Hunt does is rather than focusing on a podcast as a whole, it says, well, let's focus on the individual episode. Is this an episode that somebody will like? Is this an episode that has somebody on it that you will like? Um, so sort of those kind of things. So what, what we have is a d- d- daily leaderboard where people can log on to the site and submit a, 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 a new episode that, that other users can then upvote as well. 
and say that was a good episode or, or, or if it wasn't, they can just not upvote it as well. Um, and then so every d- d- day when you, when you visit PodHunt, you get something new, something fresh that you may or may not like. Uh, but the sort of upvotes will kind of help tell you if it's a g- g- good episode or not. And hopefully you'll find mm-hmm. something new and interesting. Great. And I mean, it seems like it's also been kind of a good example of starting from something small. Uh, It sounded like you got the initial version out pretty quick. And then I've definitely been seeing you kind of add on and build new features as you go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, again, it was thinking about what's the core feature, right? The core feature was let people submit stuff, let people upvote stuff. And that was it. That was the core feature. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I, I think when I launched it, it was just about episodes. So I didn't, a podcast never had their own page, things like that. So it was like purely thinking about the core feature of the application and kind of what could I do? If basically a user could sign in, a user could submit an episode, and a user could upload the episodes. And that was, that was the, that was the MVP essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, since then, you know, I've added profile pages for the podcast. I've added profile pages for the, users as well so you can see what people have upvoted what people uh what 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 episodes people have been on as well and hosts and guests and, and kind of things like that as well uh i think we've added the ability for users to upload a preview of an episode as well so you can kind of listen to a mm. 30 second clip of the of, of the episode as well so you can here if it might be something that interests you as well so yeah just thinking about what's the minimum features that you need to launch so that people can start interacting with it um and then thinking about okay now that we've got got that bit working in the middle what's the other things that will really help people achieve what the out what the outcome is that we're kind of hoping for which is to, to you know how, how can users find episodes that they're going to really in, in, in joy as well all right. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll definitely drop pod hunt in the show notes and you can also probably find this episode <laughs> on pod hunt sometime in the future. Absolutely. Um, are there other places that folks should go to check out kind of what you're working on, what you're doing um, and just like learn a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, mostly uh, I'm pretty active on t- Twitter. So it's just t- t- twitter.com slash uh, I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes. Yep. Um, and then uh, and then I'm pretty active on 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 indie hackers as well. Um, I share a lot of the milestones that I've achieved with pod hunt and, and kind of things like that too. so and it's yes, yeah, just indie hackers and then my username is I see on that. I think it's just obs mm, mm, is my username on on um, on indie hackers all right awesome yeah and i uh try to kind of tune into indie hackers every once in a while as well um and so kind of the question that i ask everyone to kind of wrap up the episodes how do you define latitude in your life and in your business i think the the latitude that i i like is just being able to do things the way that i want to um and for me that was it started i would say in the summer of 2000, when I started working out of my house. So for 18, mm-hmm. nearly 19 years now, I've been working remotely from what was my apartment and now is my house. Um, and so having that flexibility of both my schedule and, and to be able to build my own way of working, I think that's kind of formed a lot of what I do now in the indie hacker space and the maker space as well. 
just to, to have that freedom to, to kind of explore and analyze things in the way that I want to, uh, not, not too worried about how other people think things should work and, and kind of things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think like so it started with, with that, not having to c- commute to a job every day. And then it just kind of opened my eyes that, yeah, just because other people are doing things a certain way doesn't mean that I have to as well. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mubs. Uh, it's been great having you with us here. Um, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been it's been a fun conversation. Thanks for tuning in. So here's how Latitude works. It's the full interview you just finished listening to. Then next time, I'll break down some of the topics and themes we just discussed. This short, focused, and extremely actionable episode goes even deeper into some of what we've covered today. Make sure to hit subscribe to get that and other upcoming interviews. This is also the part of the show where I'm supposed to ask you to rate and review the podcast. Instead, I want to make you a little more actionable about applying some of the things we've talked about today. So send a tweet, message, email, or carrier pigeon to a friend about the one thing you learned and how you'll apply it to your business this week. Or send it to me on Twitter at Zavzen. Links and more are in the show notes at createlatitude.com slash podcast. And I just want to remind you that you already have the tools you need to create a little more latitude in your day, your business, and your life.